Hey guys, Tim Glom here, joined by my cohort, Richard Jones, CMO of Cheetah Digital, and another exciting episode of Thinking Caps. We are bringing in Adam Stewart, who's the Chief Digital Officer at StarHub, and we're gonna talk about digital transformation, first-party data, zero-party data, all kinds of things. So, Richard, I know you're chopping at the bit as usual to get started. Why don't you intro a guest? So, Adam, first off, let me get into a subject which will probably be interesting to a number of folks that are listeners, uh, which is Chief Digital Officer, right? Great title, great job, very interesting times to be a CDO. But before we go into that, tell us a little bit about your career journey that led you to being the CDO of StarHub. Yeah, thanks, Richard and Tim. Great to be here. Um, A bit about the experience, I think. uh, So I started as a probably a, a little bit of an entrepreneur back in Australia, grew up in, in Australia and Melbourne and um, decided to go overseas and do the travel thing after university and went through a number of different career um, ex- uh, examples and experiences over there, um, working for Marks and Spencer FMCG business, um, then went into banking, Royal Bank of Scotland, um, all in digital roles, but they weren't called digital back then. It was actually um, head of online which was a, an interesting type of title. And that was really at the infancy of, um, of, uh, of online kind of taking over the more traditional branch network. Um, launching mobile banking um, in 2007 when the iPhones came out. Went on to a pure play e-commerce company um, called uh, Play.com. We got bought out and we set them up for um, success to be bought out by Rakuten, a global marketplace that a lot of people know in this part of the world in APAC as a, a Japanese kind of powerhouse. Um, then on to Vodafone and led um, digital globally across 21 markets. Record Bankiza across 21 markets, so CBG. Back to Australia, Commonwealth Banking again, and now StarHub in Singapore. So multiple industries, all with a common theme of digital or online, all with a different kind of structure and maturity. Um, and different business model, but uh, yeah, in digital through and through. So for 20, 25 years plus. Well, this is what we love. We love experts with deep experience, right? This is great. So travel the globe, everything digital. Tell us about StarHub so we have some context of what you're doing today. What what are the services that they provide and and what's your role entail there in the digital transformation space? Yeah, so StarHub is... um, it's a great business that actually really cares about their customers. And I think that's the pride that I like working for. A great executive team led by Peter Kay, super experienced. Um, 2020 is actually our 20th anniversary of StarHub. Um, so um, a big milestone there. So been operating for 20 years. Um, they were the third um, mobile provider into this current market. They're fully integrated service provider that offers mobile, pay TV, broadband, digital ICT solutions, and they do everything and have customers and clients from government to enterprises to consumers as well. So full end-to-end integrated solution offering and proposition offering um, from governments through to hotels, um, commercial entities, right down to an end-to-end consumer as well. It's interesting because um, you know, we've had uh, a number of uh, CXO guests onto Thinking Caps uh, in the last uh, few weeks. And one of the things that everybody says about the COVID-19 impact that we're living through at the moment 
is that it is a digital acceleration uh, on steroids for, for many businesses. So the question I've really got for you is, what's it like being a, a chief digital officer at this particular moment? Yeah, um, I don't know whether to answer good or bad, um, but uh, yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one because it's almost been forced acceleration overnight. And as we all know in this digital space, unfortunately, it's not just a switch. Um, this takes a lot of energy, passion, change management across multiple stakeholders. Um, but it's, it's more relevant than ever before. We've got more people online and in the digital space and in the ecosystem than ever before that we've lived in. It's been accelerated exponentially you know, over the last couple of months as we're all in lockdown. Um, you know, we've been, and StarHub has been on a, a journey to transform processes and systems and products and services and stuff like that. But you know, having conversations with the board over the last couple of weeks, the, all the conversations is about acceleration. How quickly can we do this? What investment have we got? What decisions do we need to make to be able to um, start creating the world that it will be the new norm? And I know that you can read a lot of white papers and everything like that around the new norm, but you need to think about it in context of consumers have been forced to be more digital today because of this lockdown. And are they going to go back to their distribution strategy in a sense of interacting with physical bricks and mortar, or are they going to continue on with the experiences that they get and have been forced to use in this lockdown? Are they going to use that in the new norm as well? And I think that's a really interesting business because a lot of these, you know, everything from supply chain distribution strategy is all been evolved around the past, but now potentially there's a little bit of unknown there. And that unknown element is the exciting part. Um, but we're definitely saying that we want to keep continuing on that digital um, strategy and then being able to accelerate a lot, a lot further forward. And, and we're not just saying digital for the sake of it. This is a core part of our business. And a lot of our customers have, have come online and we're seeing that through sales and service. So it's not just something that we're talking about. We're actually acting on it as well. But um, to back up your question around CDO, if you want to, if you want to keep your hair colour and keep your hair, um, sleep at night soundly, don't be a CDO at the moment. Um, change management and mind shift takes time. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, uh, that's the hardest part. The execution is the easier part if you've got a good plan and good partners to be able to back you up. But the mind shift that you've got to try driving in the inside of the business and then obviously we've got the customer need there because it's been forced um is uh the mind shift on the inside is is the hard part no definitely now uh, you know i've i've followed your career for 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 a while now um you know obviously we've uh uh we've been uh, on the tutor experiences side you've been a, a customer of ours at a couple of different places um vodafone and racket benkiser um, yeah. And so, you know, uh, you know, with that kind of change management side to the CDO role, you know, I know that you've been working with um, zero party data before zero party data was a thing. Mm. And that now it's like the hot new thing that Forrest is talking about and everybody's, you know, getting involved in, you know, get, get direct data direct from consumers and all the rest of it. My yeah. question isn't really so much about that. It's more around, is it easier to lead? 
or follow? That's a really good question. Um, I'll probably start the start the answer based on my experience in Royal Bank of Scotland. So this was I started with them in 2005-2006 where banks have a huge amount of data. Um, they're data rich like telcos, you know, they're the, the big beast away from the Googles and the Facebooks, but this is, you know, early days of those kind of businesses. And I think um, I sat there and obviously being digital through and through as the digital platforms that customers were interacting with was increasing and that engagement was increasing. So for instance, let's take an example of mobile banking in 2007. Suddenly we saw the branch network or football go down by 30% within six months, um, for instance, and the interactivity of a new channel, the mobile banking platform, um, increasing by you know, multiple hundred percent um, you know, month on month once we actually launched it. The critical part was actually understanding the customer underneath. And this wasn't understanding the customer down to segments. This was understanding the customer down to an individual and you know, one-to-one -one marketing was popping up and everything like that. But I was looking after credit cards at that point and I had a huge customer base of current accounts in the UK. And I sat there and thought the easiest way to be, I had a sales target, the easiest way to be able to sell um, uh, to existing customers was using that current uh, account base and being able to really understand exactly what point of purchase and the current financial state of that individual and be able to tailor a solution and a product to those individuals off that, uh, that huge customer base that we had. And I think that was the start of the journey. The second part of the journey was probably in Reckett Benkiza where consumer products um, corporations have a very linear um, value chain. They play the manufacturer role. Um, you've got a distributor, you've got a retailer, you've got a consumer. And they didn't have connectivity with the end consumer on a one-to-one -one basis. Um, it was a, a lot of analysis that was being pulled back um, through focus groups and everything like that to be able to understand the customer. And so we didn't have the profiles sitting on our customer database. So we needed to really push that and start learning what that zero party data kind of asset was looking like to be able to start tailoring not only a direct to consumer proposition, but also understand our pipeline of new products that were being built in that manufacturing area that was going to meet a customer need rather than being product centric. And I think there's so many different use cases that zero party data can be leveraged within different business models, but that's where it really came up. So to, to say, is it easier to follow or easier to lead? I would say that it's probably easier to follow from an executional perspective, you know, because it de-risks some of your investment. Yet at the same time, can you afford to just follow? Have you got the business to be able to pivot quick enough to be able to um, become a fast follower? And I think that's where um, you know, businesses are trying to get the agility today. We, I always aim to try having an area of the business where failure is accepted and we lead. So we're pushing an area that's like an innovation lab of some shape or form that Failure is completely okay as long as you capture that learning and you take it into the next proof of concept. And I know, again, that is textbook stuff, but so many businesses just don't do that. 
and they try commercializing a new proposition too early rather than letting it drive some form of maturity to be able to realize what the exponential returns could be off the back of that. Yeah, that's, I really love your your example there, especially the struggles that the CPG has, like don't have that relationship with the end consumer, there's retailers, distributors, everybody in the middle. And we have another great piece. If, if that interests you, you should dig in um, to another Thinky Caps episode with Botex Director of Strategy, where they have the same boat, manufacturer, don't sell to the end client. Um, and they go through the strategy of how they built uh, great first party data and and just psychographic data with zero party to really move their business forward and differentiate. But I want to ask you um, specifically from a telecom perspective, let, let's stay in that niche for a second, since that's where you are right now. Like what are the lasting implication implications of, of what's happening right now? Right. COVID we're going into recovery. You know, we all feel that at least we're, we're going to keep saying it so that it happens. Right. Um, what are the lasting implications for telecoms in, in this period What's going to come out of it? What are the known unknowns, uh, in your opinion? You want to make some forecasting? Yeah, yeah so I think um, there's a number of different things. Initial impact, um, supply chain delays, which I think has been felt across multiple industries, but obviously to telcos as well, specifically where um, you know, uh, you know, you've got a lot of enterprise clients as well that are feeling the pinch. Um, then on the consumer side, you've got behavioral changes. You know, like I was talking about before, consumers online and more digital savvy. So usage patterns of our broadband business and our, our network is obviously increased um, exponentially, you know, literally overnight. So we've been able to um, solidify that and we hold the, the fastest um, network in Singapore from the IMDA that was awarded uh, a, couple of, uh, a couple of months ago. So, you know, we've got a good infrastructure and network base there. Um, the impacts of some lines of business, prepaid, for instance, um, lack of tourists coming into the country, you know, gets impacted. So, you know, where you typically go into a, let's go through the experience, you typically turn up in a new country, um, you go to the airport, you're on the exit and you see all the mobile um, phone companies set up there to be able to hand you a free, a free SIM or some sort of SIM proposition that you can kind of take on holiday as well. That's just dry because you just don't have the footfall going through. So um, the whole market and line of businesses is being, um, uh, I wouldn't say being challenged as a whole. I think there's certain areas where there's definitely feeling the pinch. It's very, um, it's very much too early to be able to say what's the resulting impact of COVID because I still think that we're in it. I think, um, you know, it's really early days yet. And I think that we've got a long way to be able to get towards some form of recovery. But we're monitoring it closely around usage and being absolutely customer obsessed. And this is where our brand of Starhub and, um, and telcos, you know, that need to be fine tuning on the the detail of the customer and the customer need now, it's needed more than ever at Telco. And I think that, you know, you, you know, just with all of us working from home, us speaking here around connectivity is held up through a Telco. So the reliance of a Telco now is even more important than what it was pre-COVID. And I think that's what we need to take going forward as well. No, so true. And, and, you know, if, if we kind of step back a bit and look at 
digital transformation, which is the theme of, of, of kind of what we've been talking about today in, in many regards. Um, you're obviously talking now about the impact on, on telecoms and you're back in the, the telecoms environment. Yep. You've also worked in banking and retail and CPG. So when it comes to digital transformation, what have you taken from those other industries that you can now apply to telecoms? Yeah, so yeah, another good question. Um, in every business, digital is a term, it's like data or transformation or innovation. It's one of those terms that can either be quite narrow or it can be very, very, very broad. Whenever I go into a business, typically when you're setting a new strategy or fine tuning an existing strategy, um, the first couple of slides I typically use are scoping a framework of what digital actually is. When you're presenting it to the board, everyone's got a different interpretation and there's a lot of ambiguity there of just unknown of, oh, digital could mean this, digital could mean that. So um, there's a, I just try locking down um, what digital actually is um, to be able to frame and anchor the rest of the conversation for the business and obviously all the programs that need to hang off all the initiatives and strategy pillars and stuff like that. So um, naturally that is um, very dependent on the maturity that that business is within. And I've worked in businesses that have been very immature to businesses uh, very mature. Um, and it's, you know, obviously those strategy and initiatives are very different, but common themes there in today's day and age, um, the things that I take into Starhub, you can't afford, I'd say number one, you cannot afford to run a transformation program where some form of realization of near-term commercial value gets recognized. Um, CEOs are getting more impatient sooner, I would say. So um, success has been driven from my perspective of where you're running multiple streams together, but you're not putting a big, bold transformation umbrella over the top of it that makes it feel as though it's heavy and it's got a huge amount of investment. So I think that's one key one, near-term commercialization in, and it needs to be realized to be able to bring those mindsets and get the momentum internally to be able to drive it forward. I would say um, the second part, and I think I just touched on it, um, execution is the easy part. Mindset shift is the hard draining part. And you need to put a lot of effort on the mind shift change and that shift and treat it really sensitively. Um, because a lot of people just think about, right, this is what we need to do in a digital strategy and they start executing and suddenly they've left the business behind and there's not the operating business or the processes to be able to fuel that on an ongoing um, uh, uh, process afterwards once you've actually closed the program down or if it's continuous. So um, bringing the business and the people on board is absolutely critical. Um, I would say the third part is managing up and over-indexing, managing up to the board and the um, and uh, the CEO. So obviously, it typically comes with uh, huge investment profiles and stuff like that. So obviously, you need to be able to manage up and over-index that. Um, from an operational perspective, I would say two things. One is 
typically simplifying, from my experience, typically simplifying your products that are designed in a customer-first and digital-first manner radically increases the chances of you successfully transforming. And I would say the second part is getting your data set up and accessible to be or allow some sort of speedy utilization of value generation is the second biggest successful element that I've seen in my experience. And that's wow. more from a tactical perspective, but you know, there's some of the learnings that I'm taking into StarHub that I've learned across all of those experiences across different industries. We might have to uh, we might have to, to to take that quote and have it framed somewhere uh, in the uh, in the office because uh, you know as as as, uh, as you might be aware and, and and some of our listeners may may not be you know Cheetah Digital has invested heavily in a framework to tie the application layer to the data layer so that data can be made actionable by marketers because yes. one of the continual problems we see when we go and see customers uh, that, that haven't used that technology is they're always complaining about, you know, there is data there, you know, it's somewhere away in a data lake, but That's actually right. getting at that data and having that data make and drive actionable uh, decisions and business outcomes is the problem that a lot of organizations have. So it's great to hear someone like you actually say that. And, you know, we, we may well take that quote and uh, put, put it up in the office. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just one of the big ones for me across the businesses where, you know, all the experiences, so many businesses have got a huge amount of data. A lot of businesses don't have that data asset as well, but the businesses that have got a huge amount of data that they're just not leveraging due to it being under layers and layers and layers of technology, it's just not accessible. Um, and then also they're not thinking from a, perspective of leveraging digital, um, I would say technology and emerging technology to systemize the utilization as well, in simple terms when I say systemize. So you want value generation off the back of it that um, systemizes the value generation. You don't want to have to have a human at the other end to execute against it, if you get what I mean. So right. you need to look at those operating models of taking, yes, I can get access to my data, but then I'm dependent on these five individuals to be all aligned to be able to create the value at the top. If you can systemize that end to end, which comes under your process and automation kind of yeah. um, uh, strategies, that's the critical part. That's like the, the end goal where you can automate everything end to end. So value realization is just a switch and you turn it on and then suddenly it, it automatically happens. And that's where these more traditional businesses are trying to get to, you know, and typically banks and telcos who are data rich, that's what we're all aiming for. And we've got areas of that type of expertise and, and capability, but we need to drive that through 100% of the business. Yeah, it's, it's a big hurdle, but I'm going to ask you, you know, maybe you have a short answer for this one. Yeah. kind of an, an inspirational quote or maybe a thought or a pat on the back, but let's say there is a catalyst for change in a company for a massive digital transformation, right? Maybe they can convince the board, the CEO, you know, the stakeholders to actually go through this. Like, how do you get there? Like, is it persistence? Is it, you know, uh, do your, do your homework before you even propose it? Like mm -hmm. that one person who's like, I can be that change. I can change this company. I can change them from a manufacturer to a data company or whatever the, the monstrous transformation is what's your like one line of advice or what's 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 the one thing they should keep in their mind as they trudge ahead on that hill 
uh, I would say two things, commercial vision, um, I would say, and persistence. I think you mentioned the other one. Um, commercial vision, I mean, CEOs, boards talk about numbers and P&Ls. Let's keep it simple. <laughs> so if you haven't got a commercial vision that's basically giving them a story where it, it de-risks their decision-making, it's going to struggle. Yeah. Assistance, you'll constantly get pushed back, change management. Um, you've got to keep pushing on and create a momentum. Mm -hmm. And if you've got that commercial vision, keep anchoring off the back of it. You know, so, uh, you know, if that's bought in from the board, you've got to keep persisting with the people change management through to be able to execute against it. Love it. And, and look, if you're watching this right now and you are that person that wants to push that change through, we've got a ton of resources for you. Papers, white papers, ebook, campaigns. We've got all the material you have to go make your case upstairs. So, you know, dig in and, and go get it. So I've got a, a final question for you, uh, Adam. Uh, I know you're a, you're a very busy man, which is really focused on, you know, touch wood, um, what marketers should be thinking about as we, we hopefully enter into a period of, of recovery. Um, yeah. You know, obviously budgets are going to be tight. There's going to be some bets that are going to be, uh, have to be made. Um, you know, we have certainly seen uh, a lot of our customers focusing on, how do I retain and grow my existing customers as my first priority versus trying to buy uh, new customers because we yep. are going to be in a recessionary environment for a while. But I wanted to ask you, kind of, do you have any tips or advice for, for kind of what marketers should be thinking about, what they should be focusing on as we, we hopefully set up the, uh, the emergence uh, from, uh, from COVID-19? Yeah, so... Uh... Off the top of my head, the first things that come to mind, one, if I'm sitting, you know, and I've been a marketing director in an e-commerce business and I'd probably put my position in, uh, go back to that position and, and probably answer you from that perspective. Um, I would double down on knowing the customer in the context that we are today and what the new life would be. Mm. And I think that that's important um, in context. Um, I would sit there and say, I know that traffic, as in customer, in the digital ecosystem is exponentially higher than what it was pre-COVID. So there's got to be some inventory, digital inventory out there that is um, cheaper because it's a supply and demand game. So if budgets are tighter, yet um, supply is higher, there's got to be some cheap CPMs out there. So I'd be challenging my agencies to be able to find where those CPMs at a lower level are rather than just operating as BAU. I would um, build a sustainable story or theme that continue throughout from within um, COVID to post-COVID as well and ensure that that's got a very strong kind of underpinning purpose-led brand element. Um, and then I would accelerate um, permission marketing, acquiring zero-party data through, you know, interactive experiences to be able to ensure that once you come out of um, post-COVID into the recovery, your retention programs are one of the best in class. 
yeah, that's fascinating. It's funny you should uh, you should you know look at those points because we we just had uh, 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 Michael, the, who's the chief customer officer of one of our customers, Bluebin Brands, uh, on uh, which released that today, and that's a multi-billion-dollar organization. And he was saying that you know the, the ability that they have now to really look at the data around their customers with the, the Cheetah Digital platform actually enable them to see very quickly that this accelerated, this forced digital acceleration basically meant that their online channels, obviously they tripled uh, in terms of revenue very, very quickly, but actually yes. it wasn't the same audience that was coming to the restaurant with the family on a Friday night. It was an yeah. entirely new demographic, wow. and it was also the young millennials, you know, that, that typically ordered from them online anyhow. It was a, an entirely new audience that they hadn't interacted with yeah. before. So, you know, your point about looking at the customer in the context of now and what's the opportunity for tomorrow, well, in yeah. their, you know, restaurant business, in their, their opportunity is to not only maintain and keep that new online audience, but yeah. also move them to be, you know, visiting the restaurants in store. Because if you can cross-pollinate yes. those two worlds, they're your most valuable customer segment. So really, really interesting point. Yeah. You've got to use this as an advantage. This, see this opportunity, see it as an opportunity and use it as an advantage and ensure that you've got the strategies to be able to make sure that you capture that opportunity and take it forward. I think, you know, I heard a story the other day where I think it was one of our board members where their mums um, couldn't go to a physical doctor, a GP. So they went online, they saw a virtual doctor, they used a new proposition. So I think it's a, an example to backing up your point of a new customer base or a new segment coming into the digital world. And she said that she would never go back after experiencing that. Why, why do I need to go to physical doctors anymore when I can actually have um, a virtual doctor experience and then be able to receive my prescription literally into my email within a number of seconds and then be able to take it forward and get um, the prescription delivered to her door within the next 24 hours. So, you know, it's these new experiences, it's not just about substitution um, of your existing channels into digital, as you quite rightly point out, it's about the new customer base uh, that you're creating as well. So think differently. I, I think the other point that I mentioned is around people capital. So in this point, you know, clearly we've got a load of smaller businesses that are struggling. So there's going to be some really good talent out there in the market. And it's the people that have got the aggressive kind of people capital um, uh, uh, initiatives and strategies that might be able to pick up some really good talent in the market to be able to drive their accelerated kind of digital uh, transformations forward as well. And uh, we're definitely looking at that as well. Great point. Great point. Well, Adam, um, I know we've come up to the end of our time. I just want to say thank you. That was a brilliant, brilliant chat. Definitely the smartest CDO I know. Starhub are lucky to have you and love to have you back in a few months to see how everything's going with uh, with COVID-19 and hopefully uh, our march towards recovery. No, thanks for the opportunity. Great to be here. Um, yeah, two months, uh, short amount of time. If I can transform in two months, then happy days, but uh, happy to come back and uh, give you a progress update on the, the Starhub journey. And uh, yeah, thanks for your time and uh, uh, great talking to you.